So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations. And this, the 16th Sunday in ordinary time, it's the 17th of July. My name is John Keeley, and help me to present the programme again, from again, a long way away from here in Ireland. Shane Ambrose, good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good, thank you very much indeed. What, what's the weather like, by the way, in your neck of the woods, Shane? Uh, I'm afraid it's rather wet and... Um monsoony like <laughs> although quite humid so you're missing all this beautiful weather that we're having for the yes for the days, i am right? absolutely disgusted i am missing the irish summer at the moment yes you know you know yourself it only lasts for a few days so listen oh yeah it's like you blink and you miss us <laughs> we'll do the best of it listen shane it's lovely to hear from you thanks a lot indeed for joining me this morning as we as we welcome our listeners from all over the world from various parts um, especially those who are housebound and lonely and struggling in some way today. And most importantly, as we always say, for those listeners who support us each week in prayer. Our podcast includes interviews, chat and faith topics, inspirational music, and of course, reflection on the Sunday Gospel. Our podcast can be heard at commentseeinspirations.buzzpread.com. Uh, historical uh, programs can be heard back at sacredspace102.blogspot.com. That's going all the way back to 2009. And also uh, Spotify and iTunes, and of course, also on our Facebook page, Come and See Inspirations. We are currently still updating a lot of podcasts from our earlier years uh, on to Come and See Inspirations. They're not fully there yet, but maybe within the next few months, hopefully, we'll, we'll have most of them up anyway. If you'd like to contact us, and please do so by texting us on 87 6088 That's 87 6088 or email come and see at gmail.com. And of course, it, it was nice to meet somebody locally in West Limerick uh, recently. Uh, in fact, two people who listened to us uh, in, in the evening um, on their iPads. So that's great. And thanks a lot indeed for joining us and send us your good wishes and continue to pray for us. Now, everybody's favourite. This time of the week, we always ask Shane to share some saints for the week. Shane, what do you have for us, please? Right. So in terms of our liturgical ordinance, um, you know, as we get into the summer, it does tend to, lead, to slow down a bit, I suppose. We are in ordinary time. So for those of us keeping track of things, uh, Today is the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and we are going into the 16th week in Ordinary Time. So those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week four. Now, just to point out, next Sunday, that's the 24th of July, is World Day of Grandparents and the Elderly. It's the, it's the day closest to the feast. It's the Sunday closest to the feast day of St. Joachim and Anne on the 26th of July. And we'll pick it up again next week, but the Holy Father has issued a special message for it. And we'll need to check, John, I forgot to check before we came online today whether or not there is actually a special mass in Knock, because there usually is organised by the Grandparents Association of Ireland. But um, we'll double we'll double check that one. So in terms of back to this week, so Monday the 18th, um, now the saints are a bit... Um, odd. Well, not odd, but they're just... They're, just a, they're a little... Not, truly dramatic saints i suppose this week um so monday the 18th is uh the feast of saint frederick uh of the netherlands now i'm not even going to try the city that he it's utrecht i think is how you pronounce it um he was very much known for his learning a catechist he became a, the bishop of utrecht in 1825 very much involved with reform of the diocese regularizing things in the di- in the in diocese uh reform of his clergy um also involved in evangelization to the north of the city, um, was involved in some of the, the royal politics of the day, um, but suffered martyrdom. He was stabbed to death in during Mass on the 18th of July, 838. And so that's what we have, St. Frederick on the 18th. On the 19th of July, we have St. Macrina the Younger. Now, this saint, actually, when I saw the name, I remember just discussing this woman last year. Um, she's one of the saints uh, very much associated with Caesarea or Cappadocia, which is in modern-day Turkey. Now, the reason we remember this is actually because of family connections. She was the daughter of St. Basil the Elder, so obviously that makes her the sister of St. Basil the Great, 
St. Gregory of Nicaea and St. Peter of Sebastia. She's also the granddaughter of St. Macarena the Elder. Uh, so that's, you know, obviously the name changes distinguished between two. Now, this is a serious family of saints in terms of the early church history. Basil and Gregory of Nicaea are famous um, saints and theologians in their own right. Uh, even down to this day, the Orthodox Church celebrates the Divine Liturgy of St. Basil. Um, so Macarena was their sister, uh, very well educated, which would have been unusual at, at the time. She was educated by her mother. Uh, she was betrothed at the age of 12 but he died to a young guy who died before the wedding and she refused all other offers of marriage. And she then devoted herself to the family and then to religious life. And she had she succeeded her mother as the head of a small community of women in Pontus. Um, and she died in 379 of natural causes. So that's St. Macarena the Younger. Uh, then moving on to July the 20th, we are still in the early years of the church, and it's St. Apollinaris of Ravenna, um, which is obviously in Italy. Uh, mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles, a student of St. Peter the Apostle. He was the first bishop of Ravenna in Italy and suffered under the persecutions of the Emperor Vespasian. Um, they were being exiled from the city and he was identified and arrested, tortured and martyred. And he died um, in 79 AD at Ravenna after being run through by a sword. Then on the 21st, July the 21st, we have St. Lawrence of Brindisi, a Franciscan saint, or to be more precise, a Capuchin saint. Um, very much, uh, he, was, he was educated by the, 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 France, the friars, the Franciscan conventionals, and he joined the Capuchins at the age of 16. A uh, hugely educated man, uh, could, study, could uh, study the Bible, theology, French, German, Greek, Spanish, Syriac, Hebrew, lectured in Padua, brilliant student, linguist, chaplain to the military, founded convents, wrote catechisms. Like the, you know, the more you read about this guy, the more depressed you actually get. He was a chaplain of the army of the Holy Roman Empire in 1601 and was asked to lead the army into battle against Turks, where they were then defeated. Um, he was the leader of the, of the Capuchins from 1602 to 1605, uh, was involved in diplomacy, evangelized in Germany, and eventually um, he died in 1619 in Lisbon and Portugal of natural causes. In 1956, the Capuchins compiled 15 volumes of his sermons, his letters, and his writings, and he was proclaimed an apostolic doctor of the church by John the Twenty Third in 1959. Then on Friday, we have a big one for this week. It is the feast day, not just the memorial. We have the feast day of St. Mary Magdalene, the apostle to the apostles. Um, very little solid information about the saint, to be fair. Um, friend and follower of Jesus, and some associate her with the woman caught in adultery, some, you know, but more often it's that scene where uh, she cleans the feet of Jesus with her tears and anoints them with nard. Um, said maybe he, he was the woman, she was the woman that he uh, sent seven demons out of her. It was all a little bit, it's all a little bit blurred, we're not 100% sure. The one thing we are sure of is that she was one of the first witnesses to the resurrection and the risen lord and first one of the first to communicate that to the apostles so particularly in the orthodox church she is regarded as the apostle to the apostles and as such as she that this is a recent feast day actually that was given to her i think it was by pope francis actually um, elevating her feast day to the full uh, to a full uh, feast as opposed to memorial, she is a patron of contemplatives of converts, um, high, uh, penitent sinners, uh, pharmacists, and perfumers, and um, various places around the world, including uh, the city of Venice, actually. Uh, so that is Mary Magdalene, whose feast day we celebrate on the. 22nd. Uh, she's also one of the patrons, as far as I know, she's one of the patrons of the Dominican Order. So they uh, they will particularly celebrate her feast day on that particular day. So finally, on Saturday, we have on the 23rd of July, we have the feast day of St. Bridget of Sweden. One of the quasi-royal saints we have in the month of July, Swedish, obviously, going by the name, 
uh, founder of the Bridgetines, and that's an order that's still around to the present day, the Order of the Most Holy Saviour, founded in 1346 and survives to today, although there are only a few houses remaining. Uh, Bridget died in, she went on pilgrims to Rome and died there um, uh, in, in 1373. Now, the interesting thing, John, is you'll recognize the Bridgetines because they wear this kind of a funny um, thing on their head. They, they have the veil, they have, the, they have a black veil, but on top of it, they wear what almost looks like a helmet, um, which, which has five marks in it representing the five wounds of Christ. So that's that's the that's that's Bridget of Sweden. She is uh, also one of the patrons of Europe. So last week we had Saint uh, Benedict. Uh, so we also have Bridget of Sweden. Uh, she died in in Rome in 1373, and she's buried in the convent, uh, one of her convents that she founded in Sweden, uh, where she was buried in 1374. So so thanks for that, Shane. So um, in regard to the National Grandparents' Pilgrimage to Knock. It does take place, actually, uh, next week, the next Sunday, the 24th of July. Um, the chief settlement on the day will be Archbishop Francis, Francis Duffy, who is the Archbishop of Tum and patron of the Catholic Grandparents Association. The ceremonies will commence with the night of the sick at 2.30pm, with mass at 3pm, and concluding with a special reflection by Catherine Wiley, founder of the Catholic Grandparents Association. For those who can't get there, uh, it, it will be streamed live on the Knock Shrine um, on the Knock Shrine website. That's knockshrine.ie. Now, at this point of the podcast, we'll go for a, a prayer space. This morning, I picked um, a morning prayer, which I think most people would have come across at this particular stage. It's a beautiful prayer. God of my life, I welcome this new day. It's your gift to me, a new creation, a promise of resurrection. I thank you for the grace of being alive this morning. I thank you for the sleep that has refreshed refresh me. I thank you for this chance to make a new beginning. This day, Lord, is full of promise and opportunity. Let me waste none of it. This day is full of mystery and, un and the unknown. How am I to face it without fear or anxiety? This day is blessed with beauty and adventure. Make me fully alive to it. During this day, keep me thoughtful, prayerful and kind. May I be courteous and helpful to others, and not tend in on myself. Keep me from any word or deed that would hurt or belittle or destroy. And may the thoughts of my mind be pleasing in your sight. Amen. So there we go for our first bit of music this morning. My good friend, Melinda Dimitriscu, plays... Bless the soul. Bless the Lord, my soul. So in part two of our podcast today, we can listen to the fifth and final reflection by Bishop Robert Barron and the Book of Revelation. This episode is entitled Heavenly City. At this point, we'd like to thank again the Word on Fire Institute for giving us permission to use these recordings.
So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined uh, by Shane Ambrose. And today we come to the fifth of our five-part series of Reflections with Bishop Robert Barron, which he preached as part of his Sunday homilies after Easter this year. This particular episode is entitled Heavenly City. So we again wish to thank the Word and Fire Ministries for allowing us to podcast these Reflections. And to finish this part of our podcast today, we can listen to some instrumental music from the Maranatha Singers. And this one is entitled, I Want to Praise You, Lord. So now we can listen to Bishop Robert Barron as he reflects on the heavenly city. Peace be with you. Friends, we're continuing our reading of the book of Revelation. The church gives us throughout the Easter season these marvelous passages. Uh, last week we started with chapter 21. There are 22 chapters in the book, so we're right toward the very end. And in many ways, I think the passage for today is the climax of the entire biblical revelation. You know, keep in mind the Bible didn't just fall out of the sky. The Bible was assembled by the church over many centuries. So the, the canonical texts, we call them, were chosen out of many other texts. And then they were arranged in a particular order by the church to express important truth. The fact that they put this book at the end, well, it's very important. You're a, a poet, you know, you're a, a novelist, you're a historian. I mean, the last chapter or the last verse of a poem is exceptionally important. It's, the, it's the, where the arc of the story was going. It's the trajectory of the whole narrative. And so we need to pay very careful attention to this last uh, section of the book of Revelation. I spoke last week about the new heavens and the new earth. God is not about the business of simply destroying this world and taking us up to some other place. No, God wants the renewal of his creation. It involves, therefore, a, a sweeping away of, of what's, what's dysfunctional and problematic. That's all of the, you know, the anger of God and the wrath of God being poured out and all of the judgment and all that business. It's not God just being a, a rageaholic. It's God setting his creation right. But then his business is to make a new heavens and a new earth, and he involves us in, in that work. He gives us that privilege. Okay, well, after the discussion of the new heavens and the new earth, we find the detailed description of the heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and coming to earth. Now, cities, cities. The Bible is, it's fair to say, ambiguous about cities. So on the one hand, Cain, the primal murderer, is described as the founder of cities. Well, and there's a lot wrong with cities. When human beings come together in great numbers, and we see it, just look at the news today. When human beings come together in great numbers, well, trouble follows because you get all these sinners packed together. That Cain, a, a primal sinner, is identified as the father, the founder of cities. That tells you a lot. Look at the negative cities. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, for example, the Bible uh, rails against. Look in the New Testament during the temptation when the devil displays before the eyes of Jesus all the cities of the world in their splendor and says, all these I will give to you if you but bow down and worship me. Well, what's the implication? They all belong to him. That's one of the most devastating assessments of cities and civilization, right? Civis in Latin just means city. So civilization means a kind of a city-fied culture. That's one of the great judgments against civilization anywhere in the literature of the world. They all belong to the devil. Now, I say the Bible's ambiguous because on the other hand, the Bible loves cities, especially Jerusalem the city of the Lord, David's city, the city of the great king. More to it, the city in which is situated the temple where God is properly praised, the city where the community of those who rightly praise God is assembled, the holy city, a community rightly and beautifully ordered. Bible's very interested in that. Go back to you know, the founding of Jerusalem or the establishment of it by David. 
the placing of the Ark of the Covenant in it, the building of the temple within it. Think of the heartbreak when the holy city is, is burned and destroyed during the Babylonian captivity. Think of the, the joy when during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, the city is rebuilt, its walls reestablished. The city, God's dwelling place, where the beautiful community is meant to assemble. So there's the biblical witness, seeing the good and seeing the bad. How wonderful now, at the very end of the Bible, as Revelation, I mean Revelation in the grand sense, the whole history of salvation is coming to its climax. What does the visionary see? But a city. Now, not, not just that Jerusalem in, in, situated in the hills of Palestine, but now the heavenly Jerusalem. That means the rightly ordered human community. New heavens and new earth. Yes, indeed, creation, nature has been restored. But with the heavenly Jerusalem, we see the restoration of the human project and the human community. We're meant to see in it an image of what God intends for all of us. So let's take a look now at, at some of the symbols, because they really are extraordinary. He took me in spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, please, everybody, notice something. This is not an image of God rapturing us and taking us up somewhere else. No, rather, it's God's city coming down. This is the marriage of heaven and earth. That's the biblical image. Not, let's get out of this earth as quickly as we can and go somewhere else, but rather the coming together of divinity and creation. Just as we saw in Jesus, he's the hypostatic union. We say the personal union of a divine nature and a human nature, the marriage of heaven and earth. That's what the Bible's interested in. And how wonderful, by the way, Listen now, just from a little bit earlier in chapter 21. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now we're talking. That's biblical language. What does God want to do? He wants to marry heaven and earth. How often Christ is described as a bridegroom, we the church, his bride. The heavenly Jerusalem coming out of heaven adorned like a bride for her bridegroom. This is the marriage of divinity and of creation. That's what it's all about. Now listen as it's further described. It gleamed with the splendor of God. That beautiful splendor, glory, light. What's sin? But it's a kind of darkness, right? It's a, it's a blocking of the divine light. Think of the, of the pane of glass with all the splotches and stains on it. It prevents the light from shining. When that's been burned away, that's been cleaned, now we gleam with the splendor of God. We become bearers of his light. Its radiance was like that of a precious stone, like jasper clear as crystal. Everybody, the heavenly Jerusalem is beautiful. Now, I've spoken many times before to you about beauty, and it's coming right out of the heart of the Catholic tradition, but its roots are right back here in the Bible. God is truth, yes, indeed. God is goodness, yes, indeed. But God is beauty, and earthly beauty is a symbolic anticipation. It's a sacramental hint of what God is like. And so the rightly ordered community gathered around the right praise of the Lamb standing as though slain becomes a place of beauty. Thomas Aquinas said the beautiful occurs at the intersection of integritas, wholeness, consonantia, harmony, and claritas, radiance. Integritas, it's about one thing. So here's a city not at odds with itself, not everyone moving in some, some different direction, but everyone joined together in a common purpose. But consonantia, that means harmony, working together in our variety, but for the same great purpose. 
And that coming together makes us radiant. We become splendid with the very splendor of God. Do you see now why churches are meant to be evocative of this heavenly Jerusalem? In the Middle Ages, when they built those great Gothic cathedrals that I love so much, and you look up at the stained glass, what's it look like? Go especially to Chartres Cathedral, south of Paris, and you'll see it. They look for all the world like jewels on a kind of black velvet background. You look up at the great rose windows, and it's like they put these beautiful gems and diamonds and precious stones on a black background. This is not accidental. What the builders of those cathedrals had in mind was precisely this description of the heavenly Jerusalem, its walls studded with these precious jewels. It's a sign of the beauty and the integrity and the consonancia and the radiance of the heavenly Jerusalem. Let's continue. It had a massive high wall with 12 gates where 12 angels were stationed and on which the names were inscribed of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Walls. We tend not to like walls. But see, the Bible liked walls. Remember Ezra and Nehemiah, that period, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Now, why? Because Jerusalem needs to have an identity. The knocking down of all walls just means that we all kind of blend together. There's nothing distinctive about our city. They knew that the rightly ordered community has its own integrity and its own identity. That's what's symbolized by the walls. Not so much keeping people out, but rather maintaining the integrity of the community. Look, if we want to be the beautiful community, we can't allow hatred and violence and cruelty and and selfishness and all of that to come in. And if we do it in the name of inclusivity, well, then we're undermining ourselves. Of course, as the earthly Jerusalem had walls, so the heavenly Jerusalem has walls. They're the walls that, that guarantee its integrity. What else do we hear? And I'll close with this. There's so many rich symbols in this description, but I'll close with this one. Listen. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. What was the reason people came to the earthly Jerusalem? Well, they came there because of the temple. I mean, yes, it was the political capital of the nation, and yes, it was a, it was a, a economic and cultural hub and all that. But the main reason they came was to worship in the temple. It was the holy place where heaven and earth met. So why, in God's name, is there no temple in the heavenly Jerusalem? Is it become secularized? No, go the other way. There's no temple because there's no need for a temple. Because the whole city has become a temple. What do I mean? I mean a place of right praise. So think of a city now. Sports and finance and business and politics and entertainment and the arts and and human community and and nightlife. Think of all that goes on in a city, all all of its variety. But now, now, think of all of that turned toward the worship of the true God. All of that surrendered to his purposes. What will you find? You'll find that the whole city has become a temple. Ah, ah, what began way back at the beginning of the book of Genesis when God brings the whole world into being and he wants it to be this place of right praise. He wants it to be the beautiful community. But then sin and death interrupt, but God keeps keeps moving and God keeps acting. And so finally, through his own son, he goes all the way to the bottom of the tohu vabohu of, of dysfunction, and he sets things right. He then cleans out, clears out the debris of the old world and builds a new world, yes, even with our cooperation. And then finally, it comes to its fulfillment in this city that comes down through God's grace from heaven and is the beautiful, integrated place of right praise where the whole place has become a temple. There's the arc of the story, everybody. That's where the Bible wants to bring us, from creation all the way to this magnificent fulfillment of the heavenly Jerusalem. And God bless you.
So welcome back again to the third part of uh, Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose. And at this point of the programme, we will read and reflect on the Word of God. Before that, we'll ask Shane to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, humbly, and attentively. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let our eyes be closed and our minds wander. And may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Shane. So the Gospel for this week, for the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time, again is taken from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus came to a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat down at the Lord's feet and listened to him speaking. Now Martha, who was distracted with all the servants, said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister is leaving me to do the servant all by myself? Please tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, he said. You worry and fret about so many things, and yet few are needed. Indeed, only one. It's Mary who has chosen the better part, and it's not to be taken from her. So that's the Gospel for this week, for the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Shane, would you like to share a thought you might have with us, please? Yeah, this is one of these. This is one of these gospels, I suppose, that um, definitely we can become too comfortable with um, because we've heard it before. It's Martin and Mary. Poor old, what's his name? Um, Lazarus doesn't get a mention <laughs> on this one. Uh, yeah, he he stays out of it this time round. Um, Bethany and the, the the friendship with this family at Bethany is a very important friendship. Jesus throughout all of the Gospels. Um, I think, I I stand open to correction on this, but I think there's a mention of this family, Mary and Martha, in, I think, on all the synoptics, but um, I I stand open to correction on that one. But um, it's an important one, I suppose, as well, because it's very often that this particular encounter that we see is very much held up as a, a model for us in terms of our discipleship, our relationship with God, our relationship with our neighbor, and, and, and kind of also is, as a model or a template for different facets of life in the church community. So um, Marta, very much the busy bee, sorting things out, sorting up the house, sorting out the food, um, I would say probably most Irish mothers would probably very much associate with that kind of a, a scenario, particularly when you have visitors that come in. Um, a lot of us actually would probably associate with that in turn, particularly for, for those of us, for those listening who are, who are not Irish, culturally, it would be quite an important thing if you have somebody that comes to the house um that you know you would you would offer hospitality in my experience of traveling in different countries and different places the bur- not the burden but the responsibility of hospitality uh very much um a key cornerstone to society to different types of societies and in the time of jesus it would have been a very important part of it so you know that's probably where part of marta's uh, I won't say aggression, but her annoyance is coming from, you know, you, you can understand if you're running around like you're trying to figure out and get things done. And, you know, the, your sister is sitting there and she's not look to your eye. She's not doing a whole lot. Um, it's going to cause a certain degree of aggravation. But the interesting thing about this is that Jesus doesn't necessarily turn around and tell Mary to help out. She says to her, Marta, Marta, do not take from Mary what she has chosen. And that has been interpreted over the years and over the centuries as real challenging sometimes, Martha, that she was missing the bigger picture. But it's not quite as black and white as that, I would 
argue. I would say that it's more putting in front of us two ways of being church that need to complement each other. There is very much the active dimension, and that's the one that we are very much called to, um, you know, in terms of our service to our neighbours, our service to community, reaching out and doing practical things of life in many respects. Um, but there's also then what is called the contemplative side, which is Mary listening at the feet of Jesus and the call for each of us to make space and time to listen to that voice speaking to us in our busy lives. And that's something, John, you know, we've talked about on the program very often, particularly on this part of the program, we're talking about Lexio in terms of trying to make space for that still small voice and where, you know, we would say and suggest to people that Lexio is a way of conducting that conversation, hearing what Christ has to say to us and opening ourselves up to that dialogue, sitting and listening at the feet of the master. But the important thing, I think, as well, is that we also have to be very careful not to describe it as either or in terms of you must do one or the other, because well, I think it was Pope Francis that said the church without its focus on Christ just becomes another NGO. And he wasn't being complimentary when he said it. Uh, the other side of it is, of course, you know, the challenge is that, well, if it's all prayer and thanksgiving and focus on that kind of thing and not dealing with calling, responding to a call to action, then it's just words. You know, like, and this very much links back actually to the gospel last Sunday in terms of the Good Samaritan, because, you know, the first two that passed the good, the, 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 the man that was attacked by brigands on the road, one was a priest and one was a Levite. And both of them were on their way to Jerusalem to do service in the temple. So very much the focus, they didn't want to incur uh, defilement or under the, under the Jewish laws at the time. So, you know, that whole focus on, you know, doing what they perceive to be the dumb thing in terms of prayer without the response to action, which sometimes we are called out of in terms of our contemplative uh, uh, placement. And I suppose, you know, a good example of that actually is to look at maybe the history even of the contemplative orders. Because before we had the modern welfare state, you know, monasteries, no matter where they were, were often places of refuge and support to the communities that surrounded them. So there was this, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's almost that motto that's there from the Benedictines. And last week we spoke about St. Benedict, that ora et labora, prayer and work. That 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 balance that has to be there in our lives, very much summed up in the rule of Saint Benedict, ora et labora, prayer and work. That you can, you know, it, there must be a balance between the two. You can't just all the time be action. You must, as Jesus did with the disciples, he took them apart to a time of prayer and silence and away from the crowd, so that they could recharge and commune with each other and commune with God. So there's that there's that side of it, but then the other side of it is also very much the call to action. So bring it back, I suppose, John, then to this Sunday and just reflecting on it and pausing and taking ourselves through that lexio and asking ourselves, where are we in the room in terms of Mary and Martha, and asking ourselves, which do we associate with more? And I think. I would be honest, I would have to say I'm probably more than Mary, um, you know, and that for me, as I would reflect on this Sunday's gospel, would obviously challenge me to say I need to be able to respond more in, sorry, I'm more than Marta, I beg your pardon, the action figure, sorry, <laughs> but that I need to be more like Mary, that maybe the challenge is there for us to create that space, that create that time that's needed. So it's, you know, as we, as we read and we reflect on this Sunday's gospel, we just need to take that time to pause, to reflect, to ask ourselves the question, 
but also that reminder to us it's not an either or it's a both uh, and that for me i think is is one of the things that we need to reflect on this Sunday, john shane thank you very much indeed for sharing those thoughts with us <clears throat> like uh, uh, shane said lecture divina um, is what myself and Shane practice in quite a few of our lessons I know practice and Lectio Divina um, can throw up different things for different people Shane just reflected on what came up for him what came up for me this week it kept on coming back to me was that word listening Mary was listening and we're told that Jesus we're told by Jesus said you know we fret and worry about so many things yet only one is needed Mary had chosen the better part and and we know that Mary sat down at the feet of Jesus and listened to him. Seems easy, doesn't it? Or is it? As I reflected uh, this week, I was just thinking about how good was I at listening to Jesus? Certainly room for improvement. In our culture today, we're bombarded with stuff that fills our ego, that leads us to power and pleasure and greed, all of which leads us to worry and to fret. Maybe taking some time out, at least daily, to listen to Jesus speaking to us is so important. The word listen is key here, I think. I must take time to listen to what Jesus is saying to me, not what I want to hear. So today's Gospel passage, anyway, it's a good reminder for me to redouble my efforts to listen to Jesus, to what Jesus is saying to me without distraction. And for me, that's first thing in the morning. But whatever time suits people's schedule, it's good. The main thing is we take time to listen to what Jesus wants to say to us. That's my few thoughts anyway uh, on this week's Gospel. Shane, thanks a lot indeed for for sharing the podcast with me today. Um, I don't know how you manage it after 5,000, 5,500 miles away and you're, you, <laughs> you, you're trying to keep the connection going. I, I don't know, do you, do you have a, a modem in one hand and a mic in the other or whatever you do? But look, thanks a lot indeed for staying with us. Something, something like that. I'm kind of half twisted out the window. Shane, <laughs> <I get> <laughs> <a picture. laughs> thanks a lot indeed for that. And so, listeners, just to finish off our podcast today, a uh, piece of music I, I had to pick because uh, my, my reflection was all about listening and just kept them coming back to my ear. And this is by Liam Lawton, and this one is entitled If You Listen. So join us again next week where we'll do it all again. But in the meantime, thanks indeed for joining us. Take care. Have a good week. Bye-bye now. Bye. Just to call
Shut up.